Okay, welcome to Nascent Clouds Episode 5, a podcast where I talk about AI tools and techniques, as well as some AI news and culture, mostly from an artist perspective. Me and Nuan Rahitha are back. Hello, Danny. Hello, Nuan. And guess what? This time we've got our first guest. We have Spod, Brent Griffin. But I mostly know you as Spod. It's fine. What, what does Spod mean? Well, it's, uh, it's actually the name of a department from the New South Wales government, the Special Projects Organisational Division, mm. back when I did the payroll for the Premier. That's and niche. I wrote it down as a, in a list of names and me and my friends started the band called Spud and then he grew up and left in about two years and I kept going. And, then and it's Spud alive. I became Spud. And it also just kind of sounds like a potato. It does, yeah. I love it. And most people call me Spud and I'm like, all right, I've come to accept it as my lot. I first come into contact with you through our mutual friend, Laura Imbruglia as a Mm -hmm. potential music producer for my band's next album, but also more recently saying, hey, you've got to contact this guy. He's also a super enthusiastic adopter of AI art. And I started seeing your pictures of a family with people with buckets on their head laughing and the kids are coming up out of the toilet. And Laura just posted, you know, I rest my case. (laughs) It's just so up my alley. (laughs) Brothers in arms. (laughs) Yeah, I really dove into the toilet vibes as soon as I got my hands on this stuff. I was like, finally, I can do dads and kids in toilets. It must be a developmental stage thing, huh? (laughs) It's like... It is. (laughs) The tool is You can tell people who have just got it because they all do Donald Trump on the toilet. Oh, the people coming out of the toilet that look like Donald Trump. Those are good. They look amazing. Yeah, I I was really, really Trump-focused. But I think they might have blocked Trump after a while. I didn't get the Trump reference. I just saw the depressed-looking, sad old man coming out of the toilet. Oh, the ice creams as well. Actually, that was the first thing. The first prompt I did was old man eating ice cream in the middle of the road. And that was just utterly terrifying. It was amazing. I've never been able to replicate it because I think the algorithms have gotten better. But it was like an old man melting into the road eating an ice cream. And it was just pure horror. Is the man melting as if it's an ice cream on the road? Kind of, yeah. It's just a mess. It might have been the Dali Mini version. Yeah. I see. Yeah, well, my first question to you was going to be, if you can remember your first impressions of AI art? Because I know as an artist, I was just terrified at first. Mm. So I'd be interested to hear your first impressions while it's still early enough to be able to remember them. Yeah, totally. Well, um, I'd heard about it and I'd been sort of keeping an eye out, but I hadn't really looked at it or known too much about it until I saw, um, do you know Alan Resnick? He's an American comedian. I don't think so. He's a comedy writer and, uh, yeah, just incredibly funny. But he started posting these quite realistic photos of, like, sort of... He has a very weird kind of uh, eye and he does kind of horrific kind of lonely scenes and stuff and has Mm. a real certain vibe. Yeah. But then he was... He did a post and he was, like, posting something. It just looked like something he would do that explained it was AI. And he did heaps of 
yeah, he got early access to Dali. Is it yeah. Dali or Dali? And so he was the first person I saw to kind of use it in a way that made sense to me. Mm. And I was just like, and then what he was writing about it really sort of resonated with me. And like, it was, yeah, it was like, like part was terror, part about? fascination. Well, kind of just saying like, you know, what every, everyone's first impression is kind of similar, I think, where they are just kind of overwhelmed by the the possibilities of what's going to come and how this is going to affect everything. So as a creator, as someone who's, you know, focused on creating images, his take on it was really kind of similar to mine. I think that's what spiked my interest in the way that it's just like saying, you know, th this is so close to being real that the implications are just so hard to fathom, basically. And then it's also really exciting because you have access to a whole world like, of ideas. That to go and shoot just would be quite laborious so now it's like getting to the point that you can just put in a prompt and start things off and you so can yeah, get it was to like, see if yeah, your idea sorry. is actually feasible or any good without yeah. wasting everyone's time that's it and i think it's like a real golden sort of exciting time for it but as everyone does we all have our misgivings with it but yeah as a collaborative tool the way that he was using it and the way that really got me sort of amped about it was the possibilities of it being a collaborator mm. so that was my first impression of it this could be a great collaborator and destroy everything i love to do at the same time danny's fond of calling it the perfect collaborator it teaches you how to t be a collaborator or how to treat a collaborator i feel yeah it's well it, my fear is it teaches you to think like a, a machine that's my latent fear of it. It's like, because I start thinking of images, I start dissecting them backwards to think of how to produce them. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm like doing deductive kind of synthesis of an idea down to words to then turn it into a picture. And it's a whole new way of thinking. But the more robotic you think about it, because you start putting in weights and all that kind of stuff. Mm. But is it... it is it almost the AI is built around a neural network that is based on your human mind? So it's teaching you how your mind would have thought about it. So in a way, it's a yeah, less right. robot robotic way than the old way that we're used to. Mm. Because it's showing you that your mind is based on connections of ideas and different weights of ideas. So what I've been realizing recently is that um, AI comes from a pre-digital computing paradigm that it comes from when they first started thinking about how to recreate the human mind, they thought it might be with analog technology. So they thought that all of the weights would be best represented by analog. And it was people that were fighting against neural networks saying that, no, that would take too much power just to solve the simplest of problems. Um, it would be such a complex circuit. And there's this new way of doing things, which is using ones and zeros to create uh, a digital computer and then creating a thing called a, a computer program. And it's only now that we're starting to see that the early computers... They redefined what was called memory because humans used to be the things that had memory 
And then computers, they took the word memory away from us and became the computers have the real memory and we have the fake memory. <laughs> and now the wheels have turned back around where we have companies such as, what was that company you were talking about? It's called Mythic and this, this paradigm called memory computing where they're merging the, the processor and the substrate, the memory substrate into one unit, just like a brain. And doing it with analog. Yeah, so it's kind of like the parallelism of this digital paradigm with GPUs and such, but using the analog uh, method of, a, of an organic system. And so can they kind of like grow sort of exponentially to a degree? Well, they're saying that it uses way less energy. So the biggest waste in computing power with AI is transferring on the bus between the RAM and the, the CPU. So they'll be able to be way more efficient. But it, yeah, it's just interesting that it, it's coming back to analog because... I'm into analog synthesizers and I think you are too. Yeah. Have you been finding that I feel that playing with AI feels the same as playing with analog? Yeah, because it's like it's it's reactive in a way that it's um hard to replicate. You can get to an idea, but it's hard to replicate the exact thing twice. Your controls are kind of like yeah, a bit less accurate, but more expressive, maybe. So yeah, there's there'll be sort of kind of a connection to that. It's when you're sort of smashing emotional ideas versus technical ideas. So say with AI, and same same with synths. It's like there's a certain amount of technical knowledge you need to amass to learn how to use it. So that's all the technical side of you know waiting and how to arrange your prompts and all that sort of stuff. But then the emotional side of it is like, I want to see a connection to an image. I want to see a, a child in the toilet. <laughs> I want to see a blue flower on a, on a black road or whatever. You have to have that emotional drive to get where you want. But then the background of knowledge, the technical stuff, they just need to sort of smash together. And it's kind of like that, yeah, with synths, I find. Because you need to know what you're doing, but you also need to just feel your way into it. So it's, well, it is just synthesis, isn't it? All this AI stuff. Like, So I guess if you're keyed into that, then you're going to love messing around with AI because it's just a different version of that. We're building ourselves. Well, yeah. 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 We're building you ourselves. Know, it's like, oh, this is how we started. <laughs> Someone invented <laughs> AI on another planet and now we're just an AI. Like the whole simulation thing, I don't want to get too insane straight off the bat. But yeah, like the world's a simulation. I've always just gone, oh yeah, that's that's great, whatever. And now I'm kind of thinking there's a bit more validity to it because it's like the internet is the beginning of a new brain, basically. And it's like, oh God, what if it all is? And if it is, then it's kind of relaxing because who cares? It's all just a facade over ones and zeros. So just relax. But yeah, it's very interesting as a thought experiment. And the way it sort of makes you think about art and mankind, it's interesting and terrifying, I guess. Before I forget, are there any plans for what they were going to do for these analog computers? Because original computers were kind of analog, right? Like mm. switches, basically. But I'd like to know how big they were planning on making a computer before they decided to wait like for in the 40s. digital to take off. 
It would have just been a mountain of valves and yeah, and they created a, a neural net that could solve one simple problem, but is a huge circuit. Yeah, wow. So then they're like That's crazy. And those early neural nets were only two dimensional. Like the new ones, which are deep learning, it's called deep mm. because they're stacked on top of each other, really deep. So the connection, right, okay. the connections are made in three dimensions. So deep learning refers to taking the neural network idea and stacking it. And that ended up being perfect for GPUs to do 3D multiplications. Yeah, right. Because it is That's just a wild. 3D multiplication when you stack these things on top of each other. Yeah, right. Okay. So it's That's like why the, it's all GPU based. Yeah. Just by coincidence, we needed to wait till video games got popular enough. To push the technology forward enough. Video yeah. games have helped push a lot of tech to sort of like, I do 3D animation. And yeah, video cards wouldn't be this powerful or cheap if it wasn't for people trying to play Call of Duty. Yeah. And interesting as well that um, Demis Asabas, one of the original founders of DeepMind, how he started a, a video game company before this. Um, and he was a child prodigy as a chess champion. Right. So games were always a big part of what he did. And when video games were the leading edge and he was supposed to start college, I believe it was, but he was too young to be accepted. So he had to wait. So he came up with a, a video game called Theme Park in the meantime. Yeah, right. And then became really successful. So by the time he started college, he was driving a Porsche. <laughs> but he's always used games, so that's why he's that's why DeepMind used AlphaGo as a test because they're into games and their early AI has learnt to play all of the Atari twenty six hundred games. Yeah, right. I didn't know that. So it's all based on we're going to use games as the best medium to teach the AI. Yeah, right. I guess yeah. There's also that sort of mental and physical connection to playing games as well that i guess would help but no that's wild brent um you mentioned you're a 3d animator um mm. have you have you been keeping up to date with the impact of ai in that space no not really like i've sort of been so buried in just using what i've got my hands on that i actually haven't uh and I also don't, I haven't really known where to look to find all the mm. new info. So I'll definitely be listening to this podcast. What kind of animation do you do? I've been using Disco Diffusion yeah. to do kind of 3D space animations, but they're still kind of 2D really. 3D but, um, space meaning those zooming things? Yeah. So zooming and keyframing camera movements. Oh, yep. Yep. And um, so it's like you're sort of traveling through a 2D, 3D kind of image. You can't kind of freeze it. It's still just a 2D image, but right. it pretends to be 3D, which is quite fun. Yeah. Just need to map yeah. that stuff into a 3D space, huh? Yeah. Like, because of, you know, do 3D animation, the uh, using the, the XYZ space mm. in those programs makes sense to me, which yeah. is kind of handy but it's not too hard to get your head around. But yeah, the interfaces are still pretty rudimentary. So it's all kind of putting in keyframes and then bracketed coordinates and stuff. It gets very so it's information pretty... dense, doesn't it? 
It does, yeah. It gets pretty confusing because I'm not... I don't know how to code or anything like that. I'm not really a technically minded person. I'm more on the sort of creation side of things and Mm -hmm. bashing my head against technology until I understand it enough to get what I need out of it. Right, percussive learning. Percussive learning. Oh, yeah, that's funny. (laughs) Um, Have you seen this project? I think it's by OpenAI. They're using like a text layer, something like GPT-3, where you can type in commands into Blender. And Blender generates geometry. Have you seen this? No, I haven't. I believe it's OpenAI, but I think they were having a closed beta. But um, so th- we can see how this wave of 2D image generators is going to disrupt a lot. I'm excited about when we can generate 3D models from yeah. prompts. What's the first thing you would generate with 3D models apart from well, yeah, maybe toilets? Ap- apart from toilets? Well, <laughs> it's going to be a toilet. <laughs> One of the first 3D models I did was um, flushing Pauline Hanson down a toilet. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, so, so I think there's there a whole series a there, going. right? There's a whole series you could do. <laughs> Hard to flush. So, yeah, that's it. Because that's the thing. It's like the barrier for entry for 3D modeling and animation is quite high mm. for like someone who's not, you know, trained in that kind of in that kind of stuff. So I've just, you know, watching tutorials and bashing my head against it. So anything that would ease that and allow the ideas to get through easier Mm. is so welcome. And I think such a positive change because it will just open the doors up a bit for what people want to make. But part of the magic, part of what I like about art and 3D Mm. is finding that nice point where you're still completely... uh, what do you call it? Naive to how it actually works, but you get in deep enough that you can you can create within it. Mm. So it's like with music or 3D or even AI, like I get to a point and I kind of want to stop learning because I like all the insane mistakes that generate exciting ideas. I think it's a it's a perspective um, problem as well. That once mm. you get too deep then you lose the ability to maintain the big picture perspective. And really the big picture is the perspective that the audience sees. So the deeper you get, the more disconnected you are from the audience. Yeah. So any tool that helps you just stay in the big picture, skim the surface like really effectively without having to dive in deep. Yeah, well, staying in a directorial role. That's kind of when this, that's where I kind of think the sweet spot of all this will be is when you can be a director and the barrier to, to getting that idea that you have perfectly replicated in whatever medium that you like. That's where I think the sweet spot will be for, you know, making video games or creating animations for storytelling. I think that's really exciting to me. Because it's like there's an element of that with all this early AI stuff. With the music videos I've been doing, I've been doing them in mid-journey. Yeah. So it's just basically, you know, just 2D uh, 2D, uh, image creation just through prompting. But basically, I'll storyboard the clip out like I normally would. Mm -hmm. And I'll sort of say, okay, so this is where I want this to happen. And, you know, it doesn't, like, I don't really do story-based videos, but I do kind of emotionally led kind of energy kind of videos i don't know if that makes any sense i've never said that sure music videos <laughs> yeah for sure 
but it's like you know just following the vibe of the music and trying to you know uh show my sort of feelings from that uh whether it's ridiculous or whatever so with the ai stuff i'm still like going okay well this is like the part where it drops into a big open space so you know I'll, i'll block things out like that where i'm sort of thinking directions colors spaces and then start whittling into the idea of what that represents so with this stuff you can kind of take the core idea of that so it's like through a verse where it's you know normally a bit more compact into a chorus it's more open and you're figuring out sort of those spaces you can start just putting in the most basic ideas of that into ai Mm. and seeing what it comes out as and sometimes it's such a nice result doing the most minimal effort into it yeah we really liked your video definitely we talked about it on a podcast earlier oh great i hadn't seen anyone else doing that no well yeah you're the first person that we've seen to do it and you didn't really i think like nuan was definitely interested in doing animation straight away but um still wanted it to look a bit like regular animation and mm. you just threw the old rules in the bin instantly. Yeah, well, kind of, because I've got a memory of this kind of animation where it's like, it's like a cheap version of animation in the 40s or 50s. You take five frames and you just loop them. Mm. And so, and it's a way to sort of, you know, background things. And like also wiggle vision, I think I used to call it, yeah. where like they'll just trace around the one image three times and then loop that so it's a static image but the edges wobble yes so so i've wanted to do that i've always wanted to do that basically sketching on an ipad so i was gonna take still images and basically make a video out of it and then just trace the still images over and over and over so those images had movement to it right like i've had this idea for so long but just like knowing how much work that would be i've always just gone Mm. well so I'm going to either need a decent amount of money for a clip because I'm going to need to spend so much time on it. But then when this popped up, I'm like, oh, because especially with mid-journey, you've got your four variations of every image. Mm-hmm. So then you see them and if they all look similar, it's like, oh, okay, cool. Or if like one looks better than the other, you go down that variation and you just keep going down the rabbit hole until you get four that kind of look similar. Mm. So it was purely and by then, experimentation you found this, the mini sequence that you wanted for each part. Yeah, but and also sometimes they wouldn't work, and then you'd just you'd have to go kind of deeper and find another image to replace it. Right. But for the most part, the way your brain puts it together, like if you go frame by frame through those animations, a lot of them are wildly different from each other, but the shape is uh, relatable enough mm. that it lose it together. But I found when the jumps were a bit bigger, it was better for more energetic sections of the clip. Mm. So the more wild the difference was within the loop the more frenetic the energy got. I found that really exciting and fun to play with. I feel like that kind of delta effect where you have a big change probably has a correlation with neural activity as well. So you might actually Mm. be feeling, you might literally be feeling the difference between those two states. With your brain jumping between different connections that are broader to different Mm. connections that are close, it feels more frenetic. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, it's increasing the noise, I guess. Yeah. And are you I'm really enjoying that this early stage or well, it's not even early for AI, but it's it's really it's a defining moment. Um mm. it's it's all pure exploration that yeah. 
the fact that the there can't be a lot of documentation. Some people find that a bit annoying if they try mm. and like, how am I going to use Dali to help my architecture when the the same like, image weights and and the same random seed is creating different results like yeah this week well, versus like- last week. But what you're describing is the the sort of feeling of exploration that somebody doing stop motion in the 40s might have realised or somebody creating a, an animation for a, one of the first music videos and they realise from first principles that these frames, when they're a bit more different, it suits a chorus or... Yeah. And you get to feel that um, exploration and discovery on your own. Yeah, and I find it's also, like I was just saying before, before you learn something too deeply or even before something's developed to be too, um, to operate in a more predictable fashion, that can be where the fun sort of lies for this kind of stuff. Like I'm kind of a bit worried about it becoming a bit more homogenized or... Mm, me too. It's going gonna, it's gonna to get smoother and better and it's going to get way better at interpreting what you want and I'm kind of like oh that's great but I'm really enjoying this period I think I'll probably get bored of it by then to some Mm. degree because I'll be like oh okay I'll go back to doing things in because I I do a lot of my videos with all this 80s gear so it's 80s cameras an old Fairlight video mixer thing that generates sort of 8-bit sort of animations off images and stuff Mm. and it's so uncontrollable it's so noisy and nuts and it comes out at like what is it? It's like 460, whatever the PAL resolution is, it's less than that. So it's like the lowest res image you can get. But you get in there and you just fight against it and you blow it up to 1080p or 4K and it looks insane. It looks amazing. But it's like you're fighting against the limitations or something is where I find inspiration with machines. Mm. And I think this is going to leapfrog that for me really quick. And I'm wondering just personally, like how I'll react to that, whether I'll be like, oh, I can now make these accomplished things or whether I'll just find another way to try and break it. That's which interesting. I think is a lot more fun. You're in a broader sense, I think we are attracted to this, the, the signature or fingerprint of a particular moment in time or a moment in, in technological production abilities, right? So maybe what we're experiencing now when we see the AI art of now is we're seeing the fingerprint of that, of a moment in time being defined. And yes, I mean, we're probably just (laughs) less than a couple of years away from photorealistic stuff in every way, but maybe we will still feel a creative desire to recapture this moment in time and this aesthetic of things are slightly... (laughs) wonky, slightly mutated, but maybe sometimes in a charming way. Yeah, well, I wonder when the first retro AI yeah. will come out, like mid-journey 22. It's like, oh, I remember mm. when it used to operate <laughs> like this. I've, Go I've, back to the old days. You know? I thought like, that I your music video how... yeah, really showed the way that it can't do text and that, that that would be something that people would come back to. Oh, I remember when AI couldn't do text. Yeah, I think that's... I'm bummed like about that. Every time they update the algorithms or whatever, or it gets a bit better. I'm always like testing text out and seeing how it does it. Because I love, like that took ages to get text that was readable. But also like a lot of it is illegible. But when you animate through it, your brain makes it up. 
Mm. So most of those letters, like if you pause them, like most of the frames are gibberish. Mm. But it's all close enough that your brain can read it. And I found that really exciting and fun. But it in the suits a music video so much. It helps yeah. you understand the singer, but it doesn't ram it down your throat. It's a really perfect space to watch a video with almost legible text. Yeah, it's sort of like lyric videos are kind of, you know, a, a dirty word really. But I do love messing around with that space. And a few years ago, I did a clip for the presets and mm-hmm. it was taking one of their songs and they were just like, they saw one of my, I sort of known them, but they wanted me to kind of replicate a clip I did for myself where I made a lyric video, but it's kind of all animated text. Mm-hmm. And they're like, but you know, just do whatever you want. And I went, all right. So I'm didn't get the lyrics for it and whatever i heard i just typed down so it's all completely wrong and the wronger it was the more i sort of lent into it (laughs) and then like that idea because you're listening to it and you read it and you're like that's the word that's what they're singing Mm. and it really tricks your brain the other way whereas you're sort of you're hearing something different because you're seeing the lyrics on the screen whereas like if the lyrics this way, it kind of worked in reverse, but it's well, kind it, of the same feeling. It gives the power to the music instead of the vision just taking all of the power. Your brain just wants to go, oh, I'll trust the visuals. Mm. Whereas, yeah, that's it. Whereas this way it says, no, we'll, we'll get the visuals to just help, but not so much as to take your mind's eye away from focusing on the music. Yeah, but it, also if I just used a static image for it, it wouldn't have the same effect. Mm. Like you would kind of go, oh, I guess that's kind of like that word. But because it's rapidly scanning, like what you're, what it's forcing your brain to do is make, you know, sort of diffuse the noise out of the, out of the four frames mm-hmm. to, to match to what you're hearing. I find that all really exciting and I want to play around with it more. But it's also that thing of like when you're making music videos and stuff, people don't really want you to make the same video every time. So I'm going to see how far I can push it, how differently I can and how different the same problem. Yeah. And I think you released a new video today. Yeah, that's right. For the guy who is actually the announcer on my uh, adult fantasy TV show, the, mm-hmm. the host, Conrad Greenleaf. So that was actually the first AI video I did. It's just he had, uh, he could, he wasn't going to release it till now. So, uh, that, yeah, that was the first delve into it. So the original idea for that, so the song's called Mount Analog. Mm-hmm. It's by Conrad Greenleaf, if you want to check it out. We'll put a link but to it. They, um, yeah, so the first idea of it, I wanted the entire clip to just be one prompt. And I, I wanted like a blue flower on a black background. And then I just wanted to iterate on it just for days and days and days and days and days. So I got the upgraded mid-journey membership and um yeah i just did the prompt and then for days i'll just go four variations save them all variate on all those four variations save them all and then sort of finding that you had to sort of follow the path down a variation otherwise it would sort of be too much because i wanted it to be a slow evolution i want to see if this thing would bloom or shut down or turn into just want to see where it would go i want to see mm. how this thing worked so I was like, well, I could do a clip for my friend uh, for this really nice song that would totally work for like this really slow unveiling of something. 
but something I found, it's more, I don't know, I think Dali is probably a bit better at this, which I didn't have access to at the time, but it sort of just didn't really go anywhere. It just kept coming back into the original image. So it was mm. listening to the prompt too closely. Yeah. And whereas then, Dali, it, it uses the image as the new prompt. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, what else can I do here? Mm. And I've so, been doing some rabbit hole variation path following with Dali in the last couple of days, actually. Right. Starting off with a photo of, say, another artist's work like Jeff Koons. Yeah. And then, so it's a sculpture of his. And then right. variation, variation, variation. And then just doing variations on those variations until you end up with a completely new work of art. Yeah, because I'd love to do that for a video, but Dali is like, you know, the you can't address the aspect ratio, which I kind of find mm. annoying. And mid-journey, I don't know, it's, it's, it's evolving now, so who knows what it's doing now. I haven't played around with it for a while. But um, yeah, just following that rabbit hole and seeing where it would go, I find that really interesting. But something else I'm sort of wondering about with these things, and it's more something because I've been using Disco Diffusion for a new mm -hmm. video I'm working on, <clears throat> which is like a 10-minute video, and I realized rapidly I've really bitten off a lot more than I'd like to chew. But anyway, um, one thing that I'm finding is I, I love using an image to start it and then seeing where it goes, and you use all your prompts to push it along. But something I'd like one of these programs to do is have a set of frames, a start image and a finish image. Uh -huh. And then you can, you can prompt it away from both ends, but it's going to start on one image and end on what other image mm. you have. Right. Like a tween. I, yeah. So it's like tweening, but yeah. you could do it for like five minutes, you know, because all these things go away from the initial image. So what I've, go I've been sort of, yeah, I've been doing stuff where if I want it to go into the image, I think I reverse all the keyframes and and work backwards. That's a brilliant idea, Brent. I think someone should make that. It's like a like a attractor, two attractors yep. in the vector space, and you can define maybe a trajectory and and how much deviation you want. Yeah, and I think that's kind of like that'd be a really creative, a really useful tool for using this stuff creatively, but it is a way of kind of also pulling in the parameters a bit. But yeah, I think that'd be for what, the way I kind of use it, I think would be really handy because it would help you put postmarks into a timeline kind of thing. So it's like, mm. all right, start here, merge into this, merge into that, merge into that. But then I need everything to get to the in verse between is the all chorus. Yeah. Yeah, the, so, there's another thing that I got in a um, newsletter from the Dallery Gallery. I don't know if you've checked out the Dallery Gallery. No. Um, they've got a PDF that's called the prompt, like the Dali prompt book. So right. it kind of teaches people the basics of creating a, a prompt for text to image. But then they also have a newsletter and it's only their second newsletter came out uh, yesterday or today. And you can see that the open source nature of stable diffusion is meaning that some tools similar to what you're describing are being developed using the stable diffusion backend, but adding in things to the front. So doing either 
you can put in four photos of, say, a little statue that you've got at home from different angles. And then you can right. say, uh, like it's a little Buddha statue in the example, and you can say, create an icon for a phone app based on that or create uh, a photo of Elmo sitting in the pose of that. Yeah, or right. Wow. Create um, a create a statue of liberty in the style of that. Yeah, wow. So you yeah, can, all that kind of stuff is going to be super interesting to watch develop, and then figuring out how to you know use it. And like you were saying before, if they're doing that kind of stuff, if you could take you know four or ten images of a of something and then throw it in and then just get a three D model back. Yeah, you, like, that's what I'm dreaming of so well, much. One of the examples. That's going to be so sick. Yeah, one of the examples they just um, there's another version where you can do what Facebook are planning on releasing, where you do it in Microsoft Paint. Essentially, you just scribble some bright colors, and then just go oh like a dog like that, but do a low a low polygon dog, or right. or do an oil painting of this woman doing something, but you just do the stick figure. Yeah, right. Um, so That's you can cool. just block in some colors and Facebook are planning on releasing that maybe, whereas the open source version where they've just taken stable diffusion, what's well, open source and then given it a new little front end like that, that's potentially already available. I just saw on the newsletter. Yeah. Cause that dream thing, the, the stability AI front end is going to do that. Right. Like I saw someone messing around with that where they were drawing simple things and then that was creating images from it. Mm, because it's, ba I, I can see how that would work really easily because it's instead of starting from noise, you start yeah. from that. You just... Well, it's just you're creating an, an, an initial image just just in real time on the screen instead of uploading it. And biasing the noise slightly. Yeah. And then if it's going, oh, okay, that's a person, and then say, you know... Statue of Liberty, you go, oh, okay, well, I'll just transpose that idea onto that shape because it mm. makes rough sen sense. Yeah, wow. Th those kind of develop developments are going to be pretty insane to watch. And they're going to happen like on a week-by-week -week basis. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, that 3D image stuff is going to be cool. If I can just say, all right, here's photos of seven people and here's photos of 20 things and now make all that look like GoldenEye 64. Mm. That's all I'll. That's all I'll do for the rest of my life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Make totally. an animations that look like early PlayStation graphics and just. Well, yeah, exactly. I want to be minutes. able to do the same thing of give it an image and then say in the style of. Yeah, like that's really what what would open up everything. Yeah, then have it make a movie and then just watch your own movies all the time. Brent, if an artist sees your work and is inspired and they want to make something with a similar kind of vibe. Do you have any tips mm -hmm. or hard-earned advice that you'd give someone who is starting out um, in that process? Well, just, yeah, like uh, have an idea but follow what you find <clears throat> is kind of with it more well, with everything. That's kind of how I always operate. Yeah. But with this stuff, it's like, yeah, finding ways that it can work that might be outside of your original plan is the most exciting way to use all this stuff. That's what I mean like, about teaching you how to work, how to collaborate with a human. Yeah. That it's like, if, 
because you keep trying to dictate what to do, you're throwing away the the beauty of um, the better idea that's being found along the way. Yeah, because I kind of found it like it was like collaborating with someone like in another language or something. So you can get the idea across to them, but they're also quite insane and removed from the normalities of a society or something. So they just give you back absolute insanity that really closely fits what you're looking for, but then adds in just absolute chaos. It's like like collaborating with an infuriatingly mad genius. Yeah, it's like you, you're rarely disappointed with what you get back. You're just kind of confused sometimes. I'm finding with Disco Diffusion it's a bit more frustrating because animations will disappear into blackness and stuff. But that's a whole different thing when you're talking about pushing out 10,000 frames of something off a prompt. Mm. I find that all just very fascinating and watching how it comes back to you with the idea. But have you guys found that you can just spot AI really quick and you can also spot the program Mm, but I also miss spot it in real life Mm. and I start to notice oh that's actually what an AI would have done do you mean like the signature of the different algorithms Brent yeah like there's a bit of a fingerprint to it yeah like I'm seeing people do band posters and stuff Mm. and I'm just like oh that's just mid-journey you can Mm. see it yeah. And I straight away dismiss it a bit. Yeah, that's a bit sad, isn't it? Like that it is, yeah. That the public will eventually tire of really good images. Is it sad? I don't well, I guess this thing's going to evolve so quick that I don't think we'll really get a chance to keep up with it. But I do find that it's cheapening like this is my worry of it a bit. And the reason why I wanted to get on it real quick, because I know that I tire of things pretty quick. But then there was like a cheapening to the images. So like when I was going through and doing all these images for the stop motion stuff, I found myself fighting to make it not look like mid journey. Because mm. if you basically, it seems like it's just learned everything it knows off deviant art. Mm. So if you let it go, it's going to do pink, purple, a shiny kind of face. You know, like that real internet art style, which I've kind of find disgusting yeah it's like really polished digital art i quite like it but i know exactly what you mean it's highly technical 3d or photorealistic digital illustrations hey yeah and it's like really technically accomplished but i find that style quite soulless and boring Mm. and so it leans naturally into that so Mm. it's about subverting that and putting texture into it so that's most of the first month that I was doing it was just learning the best way to make it not look like its natural state. Mm, yeah, we're definitely on the same page. Yeah, I was trying to make things like less technically adept. I was trying to make it look more naive, sort of figuring out little tricks I could do to make it sort of less good up, get dumb. I lean into the coloured plasticine stuff. Right. And realise, okay, I always love it when it does some sort of claymation plasticine. Anything with a photographic kind of texture to it really helps Mm. give it something that I kind of like to see. It's amazing that it can do textural differences already. A lot of what I did in these clips is making it look like it was printed out or it's a picture on a wall. It's like a lot of photographic-based stuff. 
because that's how I would have probably done it. I would have got five images and taken photos of them. So that's how I thought of it when I was creating stuff. You're just chasing what you want to see, I guess. So keeping the process in mind, I think, is important. Yeah, totally. Well, unfortunately, we're running out of time, so... No problems. I'll have to wind up. Thanks so much for being our first guest. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I don't have anyone to talk to about this stuff. My wife is incredibly bored with chatting about this stuff, so it's been fun. Oh, that's why I've started the podcast. (laughs) You can't shut me up. (laughs) Because I'm just talking about it anyway. Okay, so everybody, that was Brent Griffin, also known as Spod. We've been a big fan of his work doing some video clips early on. And hopefully, I think we might even talk to him again another time. Up for it. Have a good week, everyone. Bye-bye.